0: Hello and welcome to EWTN Pro Life Weekly. I'm your host, Prudence Robertson. March for Life 2024. The largest human rights demonstration in the world is hitting our nation's capital on Friday, January 19th. March for Life President Jeannie Mancini discusses the march and the importance of continuing pro life advocacy on the national level. With every woman, for every child. We reflect on the march's theme with speaker Aisha Taylor, a single mother of twins, who is now helping other single moms survive and thrive in motherhood. Plus, we look back at our powerful conversation with Jean Marie Davis, who was saved from a life of human trafficking by her then unborn son and a worker at a pregnancy resource center. Pro-life on campus. We're joined by Kylie Gallegos, president of Notre Dame Right to Life, who speaks about defending life on campus and what she's looking forward to at the March for Life. Thousands of people are expected to attend the 51st annual March for Life here in Washington, D.C. on Friday, January 19th. This, the largest pro-life event of the year, marks the anniversary of the Roe v. Wade decision in which the Supreme Court wrongly invented a right to abortion. Though Roe is now history, the march goes on as pro-life Americans continue their mission to make abortion unthinkable. This year's theme is With Every Woman for every child and highlights the vital role of pro-life resource centers in the fight for life. We start off our show with a special interview from Jeannie Mancini, who has been the president of the March for Life for over a decade. Take a look. We're here with the lovely Jeannie Mancini. Thanks for sitting down with me, Jeannie. Thanks for having me, Prudence. Of course. So we're embarking on the 2024 March for Life. Very exciting. The theme is With Every Woman, For Every Child. Talk to me a little bit about the importance of that theme for this moment in our movement.
1: Yeah, well, the the truth is that this is at the heart of what it means to be pro-life. And whereas sometimes the pro-life movement is mischaracterized as being only for the baby in the womb, The truth is that we're very much pro-woman and pro-child, and we accompany women so that they and the babies can fully flourish in life. And so that, I mean, we've seen, you know, pregnancy care centers and maternity homes, well over 3,000 of them help women for years. And there was just a study done out of the Charlotte Lozier Institute showing that these collectively provide over $270 million in free resources to men and women. Uh, around the country every single year. And so that's one way that we accompany women and that we're with women and for the child. Mm -hmm.
0: And you mentioned in a speech that you gave recently the fact that the Holy Spirit provides the church with what it needs for a particular moment in history, a particular moment
1: in time. How does that relate to the March for Life this year? Well, let me say that I'm uh, paraphrasing one of my wonderful professors from the um, Pontifical John Paul II Institute for Marriage and Family, Dr. Joseph Atkinson, um, a former Anglican priest who converted to Catholicism. And he would remind us constantly that the Holy Spirit gives whatever she, the Holy Spirit gives to the church, whatever she needs for a particular time period. And what I would say is that for the March and also just for the broader pro-life movement right now, we're in this strange moment of this overturn of Roe, which has been incredible, but then really we've gotten blasted by the other side. We've lost some serious ballot, serious ballot initiatives right. and we're, we're getting pummeled in some ways legislatively. And so it's so important in a moment of darkness to be able to, of course, turn to Holy Mother Church, but also just to trust that, first of all, God has won this battle and we know that, but to ask for inspiration and help and strength um, for what we need for this particular moment. And so the Holy Spirit gives to the church whatever she needs for a particular moment, including this very special moment.
0: Right. And we have about a minute left. The March for Life is the largest gathering of pro-life Americans in the country. It's one of the most longstanding events as well. And now that energy that the March provides on the federal level has spilled into the states with all of the state marches that you guys are organizing. Talk to me a little bit about what you're planning for 2024 as we approach this pivotal election in
1: November. That's right. So the state march program began really by, I believe, divine inspiration in 2018. We've grown little by little every year. In 2024, we will be in 17 states. Wow. in the next six years, we plan to be in all 50 states. or are very close to it. So, um, again, uh, the states are all the more important. That's not to say that the federal level isn't still important. Of course. But these are kind of mini-marches at the state capitol and um, impacting life. Right. Jeannie, thank you so much. We're looking forward to marching. Thank you.
0: This year, the March for Life rally will feature some of the many people throughout our nation who are walking with new mothers as they make the courageous decision to choose life. One of those women is Aisha Taylor. She's the author of Navigating the Impossible, a survival guide for single moms from pregnancy through the first year of motherhood. Many who are opposed to the pro-life movement claim that pro-lifers don't care about babies and their mothers after childbirth, but Aisha is certain to share a different take in her March for Life message. I'm honored to have her join me now. Aisha, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to seeing you on stage tomorrow during the March for Life rally. Now, without giving too much away, can you give us a sneak peek as to what you'll be speaking
2: about? So thank you so much for having me on the show. And tomorrow I'm going to be talking about my experience at a pregnancy center and how they were able to really stand with me and encourage me when I was wavering on whether or not I was going to choose life for my unborn twins or if I was going to have the the abortion. Mm -hmm. And so they... Really there with me, and I'm just going to share um, some insight and some background onto what that was like. Oh well, we're so
0: excited to hear more about your witness and and Aisha. Tell me more about your book and kind of your story. What inspired you to write this survival guide for
2: new moms? So it's so interesting because I had actually just quit my job to become a full-time entrepreneur when I experienced an unplanned pregnancy. And I, even though I have a finance background, have a corporate finance background, had a lot of things in place, I was really struggling with how to move forward after that unplanned pregnancy. And I wish that I had something that someone can hand me to say, you know what, after you experience an unplanned pregnancy, like these emotions, these ups and downs, they're totally normal. But here's how to make it through. Here's how to lean on your faith. Here's how to manage your finances. Here's how to build your support system. Here's how to restructure your entire household to be able to take away some of the guesswork and some of the fear and really allow these women to land well, especially if they're going to be single moms.
0: Yeah. And you make a really good point that uh, when you find out that news, that you're expecting a child, your your whole life changes, even down to what's in your house, what's in your home. Um, Aisha, you had this added uh, whoa moment when you found out you're pregnant with twins. Talk to me a little bit about that. What was that
2: like? That was insane. But the funny thing is, it was not unexpected because I have a bunch of twins in my family. Wow. so when I went into the doctor and they um, and the sonographer did the ultrasound, the first question that I asked, and I know a lot of women probably ask this, is it one or two? <laughs> and when she told me it was two, it was I wasn't surprised because my mom is a twin. I have sisters that are twins, so wow. I have a lot of twins in my family. But it was just it was just overwhelmed times a thousand. And I remember about, like, I was going to go into Good Friday service after my doctor's appointment, Mm -hmm. and I was just at a loss. Like, I literally felt like the Lord was betraying me. I was just like, Lord, I don't even know how, like, I just, I remember feeling angry at God, but it's so interesting, the redemption process that God has brought me to and brought me through, and I realized, like, that was not, like, some sort of, like, evil plan or anything, but Truly Romans 828 is Mm -hmm. fact, like all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, because my twins, my unplanned pregnancy allowed me to write that book. And it's allowed me to be able to speak to women and encourage women about how to move forward after an unplanned pregnancy Mm -hmm. and live let them know that there's hope and there's a pathway forward. Absolutely.
0: Your witness has been a gift to so many. Aisha, before I let you go, what are you most looking forward to about coming to D.C. for the March for Life? I understand this is the first time you'll be joining us here in our nation's capital.
2: I'm really excited to be present at the march because I've been seeing so many videos and pictures on social media and it looks like such a great wonderful, loving experience. I'm just excited to be with the people. I'm excited to meet new people. I'm just excited to be around people who just love life and are willing to take a stand to just um, be there for women and their children. Amen. I'm getting excited just hearing you talk about it. We will see you
0: tomorrow. Aisha, we're so excited to hear more from you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And now for the news moving the nation this week. First up, former President Donald Trump makes a clean sweep in the Iowa caucuses. Trump took 51 percent of the vote, with Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley almost evenly splitting the other half of the electorate in Iowa, this after a town hall last week in which the former president reminded voters of his role in overturning Roe vs. Wade, but also admitted that he is in favor of some concessions on abortion. Ron DeSantis has recently spoken in favor of a limit on abortion at six weeks when a child's heartbeat can be detected in utero. Nikki Haley has said, quote, this is a personal decision for every woman and every man. And Vivek Ramaswamy, who also professed pro-life views centered on, quote, sexual responsibility for men, dropped out of the race for president this week. And on Capitol Hill, a slew of bills aimed at protecting life were introduced this week. Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee rolled out the Woman's Right to Know Act, which would require abortionists to alert women to the severe risks of abortion before ending the lives of their unborn children. A bill introduced by Congresswoman Michelle Fishbach and Claudia Tenney would ensure that the Department of Health and Human Services can allocate certain monies to fund pregnancy resource centers. Another bill, the Pregnant Students Rights Act, would connect college students facing an unplanned pregnancy with the people and resources they need to choose life. And finally, Republican Congresswoman Anna Paulina Luna is rolling out a bill that would change the guidelines for new mothers serving in Congress to allow them to vote by process proxy when they are away from D.C. on maternity maternity leave. This bucks the majority of her party's strong stance against proxy voting when members aren't able to make it to D.C. for votes. And back on the topic of marching for life from state to state, pro-life advocates are marching in state capitals to demand an end to abortion. The March for Life organization continues to expand their work in the states with 14 marches planned across the country in 2024 alone. Erin Goetz, director of the state march program, told EWTN Pro-Life Weekly that the group works closely with local pro-life advocates to make these marches happen.
1: We have the great honor and privilege of working with local state pro-life organizations to plan these Marches for Life. And we love bringing together a coalition to make it the best possible march we can and get as many uh, people to the march as possible and give them access to it. So we're working with uh, pro-life advocacy groups. We're working with churches and schools and pregnancy resource centers, all of these organizations that have interest in the pro-life movement. Coming up, another
0: inspiring story from a mom who beat the odds. We look back at our conversation with Jean Marie Davis, who found her path to freedom through a pregnancy resource center. Plus, we speak to Kylie Gallegos, president of Notre Dame Right to Life, about the vital role of young people in the pro-life movement. You're watching EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Welcome back to our program. We now reflect on the theme of this year's March for Life with every woman – for every child. We spoke last November with Jean-Marie Davis, who will be speaking at the March for Life rally. She told us the story of how the birth of her son, Jonah, saved her life and brought her out of a brutal pattern of abuse. She now heads up a pro-life resource center in Vermont, walking with every woman who steps foot in their door. We're honored to once again share her story. JEAN-Marie, thank you for being with me here today in Washington, D.C.
3: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Of course. I know that you just came from the March for Life theme reveal where you spoke about this year's March for Life, and you shared your story. Um, and there was a time in your life where you were really feeling like you were at a very low point, very alone, and um, you had $1.38 to your name.
3: What was yes. that like? Uh, it was pretty hard coming from the lifestyle that I lived um, with constantly having money um, at all um all access uh, and available to me to be a, at a dollar thirty eight and homeless on the streets.
1: Mm.
3: And when
0: you when you write about your story and speak about your story, you mention um, that there was a woman named Phyllis that you had an encounter with, and um, she kind of brought you out of that low point. Uh, talk to me about her.
3: Wow, what can I say? Uh, <laughs> I'll probably cry because okay. uh, she's like a mom. Um, so Phyllis. Shared something so precious to me that um, has changed my whole life, and that's the man named Jesus And so when she sat down and said how can I help you and when she Took the time to actually listen to me when for years. I had no one listen to me. Um, I was in excruciating pain um, And yet I was forced to do things that I didn't want to do and so to have a woman who didn't even know me and take my hands and said I know a man named Jesus who can help you and when she quoted John 3 16 to me for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believeth in him will not perish but have everlasting life for he did not come into this world to condemn this world because this world was already condemned and that's when I said okay I'll try this man out because I've tried every other man in this world um, you know, being being raped, being molested, being beaten, um, being gunned down—you um, tend to lose hope in man. And so, that's when I said okay. And when I said okay, um, my life took off, and it just it went to a, a, another um, change, like. There was peace, there was no chaos, and I didn't know what that looked like, right, when all my life was chaos. Right. And so Phyllis walked through with, it, with me, brought me to a program, and then because I had challenged her when I said, now what, I'm homeless and pregnant, she started a home called House of Hope, New Hampshire. And it was so amazing because I got called back, and I got to open the doors with her, and be with her for the last six years working with helping other women and then that same woman and it's just like a mom like i said she's just like a mom because she saw opportunity and she handed me an application to become a director which i thought that was crazy because i was like me (laughs) are you sure and so she's been walking with me ever since
0: (laughs) (laughs) well and praise god for phyllis's witness because now you have the opportunity to, to serve women in the way that she served you. Talk to me more about what you do at Branches
3: for Women when they come into your doors. Oh, we do so much. Uh, we've expanded um, stuff, so we've taken it to another level. So we just don't have parenting classes, right? So we have one-on-one parenting classes, which a lot of pregnancies does. But we also have group parenting because the women that we service are maybe not comfortable with sharing one-on-one. Maybe they're comfortable with sharing it in a group setting. And so we've opened it up so that they have a group setting. And then we have a uh, human trafficking support group where I personally sit in and walk with them through uh, what they've gone through or if they've been domestic violence. Um, whether it's men or women. Um, we sit and we talk with them. We have a men's program. because uh, I I advocate for fathers. I am a single mother, but I advocate for fathers because at the end of the day, it's a family unit. So, you know, if a father needs help and, hey, are you addicted to drugs, are you addicted to alcohol, you need help but, and you're striving to become a good father but you don't know how, how we have resources. You know, being a non-medical center, I told people we need to figure out a way to connect with the women and the men in the community in a way where uh, we still have a value for them, even though we're not medical. So we have clothes, whatever they need. But then if they go in and they say, well, I need this and I need that and we don't have it, I call. I say, don't worry, we'll get it some way, somehow we'll get it for you. Right, you're that connecting
0: link for them to to the resource that they need. Um, Jean, as we mentioned before, you're here celebrating the reveal of the theme of this year's March for Life, which is with every woman for every child. How does that speak to you?
3: Well, you know, when I saw that, I just, I told my board and everybody, I said, wow, this is our theme of our year. So our theme is save a life, save a soul for every woman who's the soul you're saving a life because of her child, right? So Phyllis Phelps saved my soul for sharing Jesus with me, which in turn saved my son's life, where now Jonah is going to be nine years old. He wants, he started off with four kids that he wants to have with his wife. Now he wants 12. I was like, you better talk to your wife. Ambitious. (laughs) Right, and I go, don't look to me to babysit, but I'm for it. (laughs) But it's really cool to see that. Um, that the generation and the hope, right? So when they said that, I said, that's really what it is. You're saving the soul of a woman and you're helping her to save that life of her child.
0: For many, the most inspiring part of the March for Life is seeing thousands of young people stand up for the unborn. We recently spoke with a young woman who will be leading hundreds of her peers from the University of Notre Dame in marching for life. That interview for you right now. We are here with Kylie Gallegos. She is the president of Notre Dame Right to Life. Kylie, thanks for being here with me. Here. We are here at SEEK with nearly 20,000 pro life Catholics, young people from around the country. Talk to me about what motivates you as a young person to defend the unborn.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's so inspirational being here with 20,000 young people. I think from a young age, Obviously, like my faith was informing how I thought about the world, and being Catholic, you hear about the life issue a lot more, and so I mean, yeah, from a young age, I just I knew the dignity of the unborn, and I was seeing the culture around me, which was interesting to see, like especially my peers being so passionate about yeah. justice and equality, and then totally disregarding the unborn, so the contrast between the culture and my Catholic view so. Just, like, knowing how important and beautiful and special life is, um, yeah, my faith has informed all that I fight for and believe in. Yeah, and talk to me about kind of what it means to you to be at a gathering
0: where so many young people would choose to come to a place here led by Focus, where the goal is to pray together and deepen their faith, yes. um, you know, in the culture that we're in today that's so needed.
4: hmm Yeah, I mean, I think that being able to gather together 20,000 people in adoration, I actually think there's going to be 4,000 more people for adoration just from the St. Louis community. Amazing. So 24,000 people worshiping the Lord. Um, And Focus has done a really good job of bringing in the pro-life cause to all of their programming, making sure to always include the unborn in their prayers. They have many pro-life organizations here that can connect with students and broaden the pro-life cause. get get the word out on how to get young people involved with the pro-life movement yeah um, and yeah i think the foundation and prayer is so important i had an experience a couple of years ago actually was well it was just before roe v wade was overturned so the conversation around abortion abortion was very heightened yeah and i was living with the sisters of life in new york city we went to this um prayer service um where we had gone to Mass at the Basilica of Old St. Patrick's down in Lower Manhattan, and that was symbolizing the Last Supper, which was so beautiful. And then we prayed three rosaries walking two blocks down the street, and that was symbolizing the Way of the Cross. And then we ended at a Planned Parenthood where that was symbolizing modern-day Calvary, the Massacre of the Innocents. We prayed another rosary, and it was so beautiful to see hundreds of pro-lifers um, like doing the Way of the Cross um, yeah. for the unborn. But it evoked a response from the other side So, the reason that it took three rosaries to get two blocks down the street was there were so many pro-abortion protesters. And you could just see the agitation that our prayer was causing them. And so that really solidified, for me, the importance of prayer and how much the other side sees it and how they're heard and answered.
0: Right. And how much of a spiritual battle this truly is. It is, you know, the modern battle of our day. Speaking of pro-life involvement, you're the president of Notre Dame Right to Life. I'm curious um, to hear your reaction to recent attempts at your sister school, St. Mary's College, to allow biological males to attend. Thankfully, this isn't happening, but what was it like on campus experiencing that?
4: Yeah. I, well, for me and my friends who are very involved with the Catholic culture at Notre Dame, we weren't surprised that it happened. We were very, very disappointed. Mm-hmm. I think we had held out hope that this would be one line that St. Mary's wouldn't cross. Um, but, yeah, the hope and the surprise in the opposite way that we all had whenever we heard that the de- decision had been from Uh, overturned, I guess, and we were all so thankful for Bishop Rhodes. He's a great leader for our diocese, and he had really spoken up against the decision that St. Mary's had made, and Catholics around the area rallied um, with love for St. Mary's, and they didn't want to see St. Mary's promoting these lies about what it means to be a woman, especially with the name Catholic. Right. Um, so yeah, we were all filled with hope that maybe maybe this is going to turn a new page for St. Mary's, new horizon. We'll see. Good, good. And Kylie, before I let you go, I know you're leading many
0: Notre Dame uh, students to the March for Life. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk to me about you know the importance of you guys being there and kind of what's in store.
4: Mm -hmm. It was a big question whenever Roe was overturned, like, do we keep going? And I realized after talking to many, many students that the march was something that was really important to them. It was important for them to go with their peers. We treat it as a pilgrimage because it's a, 12-hour bus ride from Notre Dame so we gather hundreds and hundreds of students we've taken up to a thousand before down to the down to DC and it's so inspirational to march with your peers and everyone else so this year I'm really excited because we're taking on um, Notre Dame our mother as our patron and we're going to have lots of signs just asking for the intercession of Mary um, for the unborn.
0: That's wonderful. Kylie thanks for joining me once again it's always great to see you and spend time with you. Thank you for this. Don't forget to tune in to EWTN tomorrow morning at 9 30 a.m. Eastern for our wall-to-wall coverage of the 51st annual March for Life. And tune in next week for a special edition of our program dedicated to the young people who are making waves in the pro-life movement. That does it for this edition of EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Don't forget you can find us at EWTN Pro-Life on all social media platforms. X, Facebook, Instagram, we're there. And if you're interested in more news from our nation and world, go to EWTN.com forward slash and sign up for our newsletter, The Pro-Life Pulse. Remember, life is a gift. Your life is a gift. God bless and see you tomorrow.